to One on One With, a podcast where we sit down with key influencers, preachers, and leaders and ask those questions you can really only ask one on one. We're so happy you're joining us and we'd actually love to hear from you. So why don't you leave a comment, a review, let us know how we can best support you. We know that you are absolutely going to love this episode's guest. So let's jump into it now. Oh, and thank you so much for taking time. It's great to be here. I know this is a crazy week for you, crazy day for you. Yes. Um, we want to jump straight into things and hear sure. all about um, the situation with COVID-19, your you know, perspective from uh, faith, you know, a man of faith, but then also being a man very involved mm. with what's going on right now. Just some context, I guess, for the people listening. Sure. Could you give us a bit of a, I guess, a little bit of your bio, who you are, what your current role is? Sure. Thank you, Alex. <clears throat> so my name is Owen Lowe. I um, come to this church. I've been in this church over 30 years, um, but my day job is um, as the Group Chief Medical Officer for St. Vincent's Health Australia. And um, what it is, is the role is being essentially the chief doctor who looks after um, clinical governance for our organization and research. Um, St. Vincent's Health Australia is a Catholic uh, health network with 36 sites public hospitals, private hospitals, and aged care facilities. So wow. that's what I do. <laughs> that's a lot. So playing such an important role during yeah. essentially this crisis that's going on right now, how has your, yeah. your normal day change or even your role change for the hospitals that you're looking after across Australia? Sure. So um, my whole role now is to lead the organization in responding to this pandemic. So uh, really, uh, this applies, I think, across the board for every, anybody who works in health now. The focus has been to put aside uh, business as usual, BAU, um, and any uh, non-urgent projects, and uh, focus our attention on how we, as a health system and as a nation, respond to this uh, crisis, which impacts all our lives. So um, I think we have all heard that this is a health crisis, yeah. which has also created an economic crisis mm. because of, of the way we need to respond to this. So it's a multi-level issue. And uh, so right now, what we are trying to do is um, there are a few, as a health system, there are a few uh, parts to, the, the, to, to addressing this. So in terms of phases of a pandemic, yeah. you have a preparation and planning phase, mm -hmm. which is where we have been for a while. Do you think you had enough of that time or would that come up, was that cut you'll short? Never, you'll never have enough time, but the benefit that Australia has had is that we, uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, this started in the Northern Hemisphere and they, they've had the winter. And so we have the benefit of waiting, yes. having some time to prepare to learn. Um, we've had a lot of learnings from China, from Italy, from, from Europe, and now even from the United States. Mm. Um, to uh, learn from the mistakes, to learn about what they've done well. Mm -hmm. And so we, we really um, have tried not to squander the time that we've had to prepare. So then planning and preparation, and then <clears throat> transitioning from that to uh, addressing the surge that is about to come. Yeah. And then obviously after the surge, you have the recovery phase. But as part of the um, planning, there are a few things that we need to look at. We need to look at... Um, the flattening the curve, social distancing measures that we've put into place in our uh, uh, hospitals, but yeah. also in the community. As mm -hmm. we know, we need to address planning for the search. So how many ICU beds, hospital beds, 
how many edge care beds do we have? How do we ma manage the patient flow? How do we manage emergency? Yes. Then you got workforce management. So we know that um, there are two parts of workforce. One is that as we plan for uh, the pandemic, um, um, people are gonna be isolated because mm -hmm. they are in contact with people who might be confirmed. Schools might close down, so people need to be at home. So all those things need to be looked at. But then when the surge comes, we know the health workers are gonna, gonna fall sick. Yes. And so we need to kind of arrange our workforce around how do we replace them. So there's a lot of uh, people coming in, re retired nurses and doctors coming back in. Yes. Medical students and nursing students are being trained to be prepared. Because yeah. um, <clears throat> if you look at Italy, for example, they, they uh, had 10,000 final year medical students that they've just deployed wow. and said, you've all passed your exams, even though they haven't said it, now you're all doctors. <laughs> and um, similarly in Spain now, they have going through a crisis, they're doing something very, very similar. Mm. So workforce is another one. So the other thing is supply chain management. So yes. um, personal protective equipment, you've heard about this, PPE, which yeah. is an N95, P2 masks, your gowns, your gloves, and your eye protection. That's, that's your personal protective equipment. That, that you can imagine every time you see someone you'll put it on and mm. then you need to take it off yeah. throw it away and put it on for the next patient yeah. and you can run out very very quickly you need mm. like literally hundreds of thousands of millions of of pieces of equipment so other we are looking at other countries that have run out and we are really preparing ourselves to make sure we have enough and we do have stockpiles at yeah. state level and national level so that's supply chain but medications is the other thing that we need to look at as well mm. so that's an important part of what we're looking at. And then um, <clears throat> people don't talk about this, but the IT infrastructure, yes. because a lot of people are gonna have to work from home. We're gonna do a lot of quick communication. So that, that so my life's all about that at the moment. It's wow. 100% That's a lot. <laughs> just preparing all elements of that uh, and making sure that it's all working. Okay, and how are you coping right now? Like we've, we're sort of right into the swing of it right now at the time of this recording. How is that for you? Like, is this, is this quite a, a crazy moment, a crazy yeah, it week? Is, it is quite busy. Um, um, you know, you, you kind of live and breathe COVID-19. That's <laughs> all I know. Uh, I, and I've done a lot of my own research to get on top of what's going on. I'm keeping up to date with what's happening in other countries. Because my yes. role really is um, uh, 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 to remain at a high level and yes. to coordinate the, the response. Um, and... And in fact, I'm in a privileged position, really, because I'm not, I mean, I'm stressed about it, but I'm not going to be as stressed as the people on the front line. Right? Yes. The, uh, the emergency doctors, the nurses, mm. the ICU, people who work in ICU, they're all getting prepared, mm. you know, and it's, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of tension, um, and, you know, a sense of, you know, are we ready? Are we, are we prepared enough? Um, we've already had patients in hospital now with COVID-19, so... Mm. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see yeah, how it pans it's out. It's happening. How, um, as, as a man of faith as well, amongst this craziness that I think Australia is experiencing, the world is experiencing, but you in a very influential role, you know, very pivotal for what's happening with the hospitals you look after. How are you finding peace, I guess, through this situation? Sure. <clears throat> so it's very easy to... Um, be overwhelmed by the uncertainty of what's happening because mm. because as human beings we 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 don't like not knowing we don't like the dark we don't like not understanding what's going on we don't like to lose control so this is a time when I think the community at large a lot of 
uh, members of the public, including people, people in our church, mm. Christians even, would feel uh, a bit helpless, a bit afraid and fearful. And, and I think um, <clears throat> for me, having the knowledge that God is in control yeah. helps. So I have the benefit of working in a Christian organization. So we start all our meetings with prayer. Wow. We have our nuns praying for us. We, uh, um, at every meeting, uh, at every executive meeting, at every uh, meeting that we have had, we will pray for the doctors and nurses. We'll pray mm. for healing. Um, so it's, it's good that I work for an organization like that that's also yeah. faith-based. But for me, you know, it's um, <clears throat> ensuring that I don't get distracted by and influenced by the situation, that mm. I have peace that comes from within, knowing that, um, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I can abide in Him. Mm. I can be comforted by the Holy Spirit that uh, He is my strength because, you know, you, it's, it, I kind of need to rely on, on God at the moment. Um, especially when my phone's ring <laughs> buzzing yeah, yeah. every five seconds. Getting, I'm getting a lot of text messages. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's very easy to get distracted and to be anxious, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, it's my CEO, sorry. That's right. My boss. We'll let you take that. So you just got a call, like just then, hot off yeah. the press. You're talking about ventilators. What, what's that about? What's the use of ventilators right now? So, okay. <clears throat> So let's, let's kind of talk about basics. Um, so has a, the, the reason why the government is coming up with all these measures to restrict people's movement and to isolate each other, uh, so I, to isolate all of us from, from each other is, you know, all this social, what we call social distancing measures is because um, infectious diseases like COVID-19 um, you know, viral illnesses, mm. uh, in this case, the coronavirus, uh, you know, a new one, um, spreads through um, human contact, right? So this particular virus is not actually airborne. Mm. It's uh, aerosol. Now, it's a very fine and probably a semantic uh, distinction. Airborne means that you breathe out. You will, if I breathe out, you'll get it. Measles is airborne. Yeah. Highly infectious. This is... This is not that. So mm. you don't gonna get, get it from someone else's breath. But if they sneeze though or cough, it aerosolizes droplets. So this uh. passes through fluids. Yes. Uh, and um, like the flu, the flu is the same. The, mm. the flu is exactly the same. You have to touch. The problem with, is that they've done studies, the droplets stay on plastic and steel for up to three days. Wow. Uh, so you can hang around a lot. In the air, if you sneeze out, you can stay hang around in an enclosed room for three hours. So you can you, you can hang around. So, so you have to have human kind of to spread it. So then, let's if you distance yourself, the virus then doesn't spread. It dies in you. It just stops. Yes. So they're trying to stop the spread as much as possible. Yes. Theoretically speaking, if everyone locks themselves in a room for fourteen days, it will disappear. Theoretically speaking. Theoretically, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, but the reason why they want to do that is if, if you just say, okay, let's just let the virus just spread, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just spread. Because, you know, for you and I, all of us here, for most of us, um, we're not going to get a bad uh, version of this. We'll get mild disease, a bit of a cough, some fever, but it'll be like a bad cold or flu and yes. we'll get over it. But the elderly will die 
Oh, 15% of people over 85 will die. Okay. Okay. 15 or 50? 15. Yes. 15. And 6, 7, 8% of people over 65 would die. So um, there is a high mortality rate for the elderly. Yes. Um, in fact, uh, if you take the population as a whole, they, you know, an original stats are about 1% to 2%. Mm -hmm. But in, in Italy at the moment, the, the death rate is 6%, 7%. Wow. So if you let it run, in fact, 20 million Australians, right? Mm -hmm. What's 1% of 20 million? You tell me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 1% of 20 million is probably 200,000. 200,000, yeah. yeah. 200,000, right? That's a lot of people dying. Yes. I mean, you don't want that, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, China, with a population of 1 billion, managed to lock down the country and mm. kept deaths to 3,000. Wow. Right? It's Italy has doubled the deaths of China now. It's 6,000 deaths. Right? Because they haven't been able to lock it down as much. Mm. So that's why we want to flatten the curve. Because in Italy, what's happened is that if you look at the curve, right? If you say, this is the number of people who have the, you have the illness. If, you, if it goes up too much and too yes. quickly, this is the health system. This is the number of beds that we have. Yes. If we reach a point where we don't have enough beds for you, you will die. Yes. If you have severe disease. Because if you can't breathe, because this, this virus causes severe pneumonia. Your heart, your, your, your lungs get flooded. For you to live, um, in an extreme case, you need to go onto what we call an ECMO machine, which is mm. an extracorporeal uh, membranous oxygenation machine, which is like taking your blood out to give you oxygen, because you can't breathe. Yes, wow. So oxygen has to be given to you into your blood directly, and you've got to be on that for, for, for a few days. Mm. And then you get through, if you recover, you will live or you die, right? So if in Italy, because they've run out of ICU beds, Run out of ventilators even. Because, well. you know, ICU is one thing. Maybe you have ventilators, you put them in other places mm. to ventilate because you need oxygen. Mm. You run out of that, you will die. And so they have people dying uh, because they have, they, have, they have been in a position where they have to make decisions. Yes. And they have to actually now, they, have, they, they now say, if you're over 65, we're not going to put you in the ICU because we don't have enough beds. Wow. So if you're over 65, you're going to die wow. if you get a severe form of the illness. So... In Australia, we're trying to not do that. So the ventilator question is, the more ventilators you have, the more people you can, you can save. Yes. Uh, if you get to the point where you use up all your current ventilators, because we've got about 2,200 ICU beds, they're all ventilated. That, that number's for? The whole of Australia. Yeah, all hospitals. The whole but, of Australia, yeah. all hospitals, 2,200. So you want to maintain the severe numbers to, to, because you remember, all the ICU beds around are more or less full. Mm. with not COVID-19 patients, just yes. people with heart attacks, car accidents, you know, yeah. people need ICU beds, right? They're more or less, you know, maybe 80, 90% full, mm. right? So you add a whole bunch of COVID-19 patients on top of that, you'll get full really easily. Yes. So then you're going to be thinking, do I save the heart attack person or do I save the COVID-19 person? Who do you save? I mean, because you're going to run out of beds, right? Yeah. So that's the issue of ventilators. So if you can get as many ventilators as you can, we can open up more beds that are ventilated. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the yeah. long answer to your question. Yeah, no, no, that's great. <laughs> I guess there's two different schools of thought here that we're seeing in the world. There's the eradication perspective and the yes. flatten the curve. From yes. your point of view, what do you think is the best approach and what are, what are we trying to do within Australia? All right, it's a great question, right? So in Australia, it's not exactly clear the strategy because the Commonwealth government hasn't actually, actually set, used those terms. Yes. They've said flatten the curve, social distancing, to try to reduce and to help uh, to reduce the surge uh, or, or, and to keep the peak down so that we can manage, our health system can manage. Yeah. They, they haven't actually used those terms. I mean, as you say, 
there is the eradication, it's total lockdown yeah. to try to just... Which is what we've seen in China. Yeah. yeah. So there's a thing called a hammer, hammer and dance. I don't know if you've seen that, that, that model. So uh, we are, you know, it, it's kind of like an in-between. In the hammer is where you just lock things down, mm -hmm. drop, you know, for two, three weeks, drop it down to a low level, mm -hmm. and then you just do the dance where you, anything that comes up, you just lock down, lock down, lock down, but, yeah. but, but you, you, you ease the lockdown as much as you can, the hammer and dance. So China was a kind of like a hammer and dance. Mm -hmm. South Korea, they just went hard. Yeah. Uh, we haven't really done that, although we, uh, uh, or we are a bit slow in doing that, and we're kind of putting the hammer down now, in yeah. one sense, a bit later. Okay, and you see and that's, that's where Australia is moving towards the lockdown? I, I think um, one of the hard things about this whole disease is that anything you decide to do now you don't see the effect of until two or three weeks later. Yes. So even the stuff that happened last week, we don't know if it's worked mm. until next week. Yes. And anything that we don't do, we don't see the effect until. So the, the you know, you know, uh, the classic thing is, you know, the, they talk about Bondi Beach, all these people going to Bondi Beach. Mm -hmm. right? You don't know the effect of that until two weeks later. So yes. out of that, we don't know how many people are going to get sick, how many people are going to die. We just don't know. Mm. And now the lockdown that we're doing now, we, we won't see the effect of on the curve what that's going to do until two weeks until later. later but in two or three weeks that's when the search will start to start uh, happen and in about a month we'll be right in the middle of it so mm. we will know for sure yeah, in about wow. a month's time uh, how we how well we have prepared because yeah. I know that people are coming to hospital now with uh, bad enough COVID-19 to need uh, to be in inpatient beds mm -hmm. the the wave of patients haven't hit our ICUs yet. Yes, so. but so that's where we're heading, obviously. But that's where we're heading. Yeah. There's okay. no doubt that we're heading there. There's no changing the fact because yeah. our trajectory is going like this at the moment yeah. in terms of our, our curve. Yeah. yeah, I guess um, just some really practical questions. A lot of people are wondering how can they prevent themselves from getting the, you know, the virus, whether that's a strong immune system or practical things. And sure. what would you say to that? I think there's a lot of... Um, People, a lot of myths, a there lot of people saying, do this, do that, yeah. hang the garlic up above your bed. But okay. from a doctor's yeah. perspective, what, what is actually yeah. going to help us stay healthy? Great. So there's a lot of misinformation about COVID-19. Uh, a lot of fake news, especially on social media. And one thing to start off with is to ensure that your source is reliable and scientific. So... Um, Go to the uh, Commonwealth Health, uh, website, health.gov.au, for evidence-based advice. Yeah. Or your state department website, as the first thing, and and then talk to your doctor. <coughs> There's a lot of misinformation uh, out uh, in the community at the moment. So, um, from a factual point of view, uh, having so as a kind of a foundational point, having, being healthy helps. Mm. So, you know, exercising well, eating well, good nutrition, you know, having vitamins that will help you have a strong um, foundation yeah. and a basis for fighting off any infection. So yeah. that's, that's the first thing, mm -hmm. all right? It doesn't prevent COVID-19, yeah. right? Nothing will prevent it per se, because we don't have a vaccine, mm. but it will help you you know, have a le le be less susceptible to any kind of yeah. viruses, including COVID-19. Yeah. And from a practical point yeah. of view? So from a, uh, from a practical point of view, the key thing is social distancing, mm -hmm. all right? So 
the, um, the uh, common sense stuff, social distance, washing your hands is so important. Yeah. Washing it properly, 30 seconds, doing washing all the nooks all and crannies. Yeah, yeah. All the techniques that the you've nails. seen. Yeah, yeah. All of that is so key. Um, there's, a, there's a debate around wearing a mask. Um, you, you could wear a mask. You mm -hmm. need to make sure it's the right type of mask because your average mask doesn't filter out viruses, which are smaller. Mm -hmm. So theoretically speaking, if you want a proper mask, it has to be uh, a P2, which is European standard, or N95, which is a US standard mask mm -hmm. that filters out 95% of 0.3 microns uh, size particles. And this virus is actually smaller than that, but because it's on droplets, you will filter it out. So most um, of, you know, this those average masks people are wearing when so it's So those, those, those fancy Japanese masks, yeah. for example, the really cool ones, fil uh, did someone did a test on that, it filters 0% of uh, viruses, wow. 0%. And even like a cloth or something, it's cloth really not going to do much? Uh, probably not, not much. And you've got to know how to wear it as well. So masks, um, they've done some studies on this. Masks sometimes can be worse for you because what happens is, most people don't catch the flu or COVID-19 through the air. They catch it from touch. Yes. They don't realize this. So of course, they're so worried about getting close to people sneezing, they don't get it, right? And, but when you have a mask, right, it's, it's, it's from touch. So if someone who sat here had COVID-19, mm -hmm. put their hands here after sneezing, I touch it now. And I t as long as I touch my face, my mouth, I will get it. Wow. So, I, you know. <laughs> Yes, we got the hand sanitizer there. The <laughs> That's good right, stuff. right. So, it's um, <laughs> a good demonstration. Um, uh, so, and when you wear a mask, pe people tend to fiddle with it a lot. Yes, and they're touching their, hands, their face. And they're again. touching your face more. Yes. So, that's the problem. Mm. So, in actual fact, people um, catch the flu and viruses and COVID 19 from touching their faces. So, it's washing yes. your hands a lot, not touching your face, keeping social distances, wiping surfaces. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, having hand sanitizers to, and uh, antiseptic to wipe surfaces um, yeah. that, that helps, Yeah, definitely. In terms of the social distancing, I think we've seen a lot of countries respond well to that because they've gone through things like this in the past and yes. they just know this is what we got to do. But I think the Aussie mentality is very, she'll be right, very relaxed. I want to keep having my barbecue. Um, what would you say, I guess, to that? Like how important is it for us to actually adhere to what the government's saying and yeah, really do so this Yeah, it is so important. It is so important because the, the issue is when you practice social distancing, you're not helping yourself, you're helping other people. Yes. Uh, the people who are elderly, who are at high risk, but people with heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, mm. cancer, they are the people who are at a much higher risk of dying mm. than normal people. Yeah. Having said all that, we know from um, overseas experience that young people get it and mm. young people have died. So randomly, this will affect young people in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Wow. Uh, for no real reason who have no uh, medical history, they get a severe version of the illness and they die. So mm. don't think that you are immune. Mm. But the key here is that you're not doing, doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the elderly, the, the population. Other people. Yeah. Because, um, you know, if you, all it takes is a few people to be, um, to follow the rules, to stop maybe 100 people from getting yes. infected. You break the chain yeah. of uh, infection that ends up at an elderly person who then needs to go into ICU. Yeah. So that's the chain that you want to break. So yeah. the less burden in the community, the better. And obviously throughout the media, um, I guess anyone watching this, the reason they've clicked on this or they're listening to this is because they're, they're wanting to be informed. And a lot of sure. people look into the media. And I think at the moment, 
I'm sensing it, you'll be sensing it. Everyone's just panic, fear, freaking out. Do you think the media is accurately portraying this situation or are they overdoing it or actually is, is this pandemic worse than the media is portraying it to be? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. There are different, um, different um, forms of media out there. So if you're talking about newspapers and the news, I mean, there are some newspapers that are more prone to being on the tabloid end of the spectrum that tend to sensationalize some of the news. But I think um, um, uh, the, the answer is um, it is a very hard balance <coughs> because we all, all of us currently are struggling exactly with that, with that sense of being in constant tension mm. where you're always questioning yourself, am I overreacting and panicking or am I just being too laissez-faire and too calm? Yeah. And you flip between the two because of the uncertainty. Mm. And I think the media kind of does that. And I think um, some people have, um, you know, there's a whole issue of hoarding and panic buying. Um, and then you, you know, you wonder, should they do it? Should they not do it? I mean, everyone has to make the decision for yeah. themselves. My, my view is that we do the right thing. We work um, as a community uh, so that we play our part in helping the uh, public health response of the government to uh, re flatten the curve to ensure that we don't overwhelm our health system because yes. that's when things fall apart. There are countries like Hong Kong, Singapore, where they have the curves not like this, it's like a straight line up. Yeah. Their health system has been able to maintain themselves. So I, sp I sp yeah, you know, had a meeting a couple of it. weeks with some special specialists from Hong Kong and they were saying they, their ICUs are fine, they have enough beds for everybody, mm. they haven't had to make the tough decisions yeah. about not admitting people into ICU. So, mm. um, <clears throat> but you know, I think we, 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 we refer to the fact that Australia is a different country, is a different culture. Yeah. In, in Asia, um, the population there um, have dealt with pandemics before, mm. they are more used to listening to the government and, and they, they just kind of let it happen. Mm. Whereas we are actually a bit more isolated from, from having had to deal with infectious diseases as a whole, as a country. Yes, yeah. And so the, I think the Western, the Western world, the Western countries are really finding it difficult. Yeah, um, socially to, to I think more yeah, so Yeah, I think anything. so, yeah. Yeah, I guess the question that is on everyone's mind and I would love to ask you is, how far are we off a cure and is a cure even right. something that's gonna happen in the near future? Sure. So when we talk about cures, there are kind of two aspects to that. There's the vaccine, which, which is really what you want um, because um, with the coronavirus, it um, induces a reasonably weak immune response, kind of like SARS and MERS and other coronaviruses. Um, so that even if you, if you catch it, uh, you develop an immune, immune response, but there is a small chance you can catch it again. Mm. So you, no matter what, you'll need a vaccine but you will have some immunity, right? But it may only last a few months, maybe to a year. So a vaccine is important. So a vaccine will be a definitive thing to prevent you from getting it. Yes. Or if you get it, to prevent you, prevent you from getting it again. But there are, but the other side of the cure is if you get it, can you have any treatment for it? So lots of trials are going on. There mm -hmm. are people looking at anti-malarials, antibiotics, antivirals. So yeah. some anti-HIV uh, drugs uh, seem to have worked. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of trials going on. For people who have it. These are for people who have it. Yes. Um, <clears throat> none of it's been proven definitively, but people are kind of fast tracking testing and people are 
using it uh, live in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, our doctors here are looking at that to see if they have access to some of those drugs. To you know, because at the pointy end where all else has failed, and you want to try something, these are the things that you might try. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of a vaccine. Vaccine. So initially, there were five groups in different countries working on it, looking at five different techniques because uh, you can make vaccines from different ways, including Queensland as well. Um, I, I think now there are about 20, 20 international groups. That, um, uh, people are trialing vaccines in Ireland, in, uh, in the US, Kaiser Permanente, Australia, and Queensland. They want to trial something as well. That's the, and they're fast-tracking it. They're skipping animal studies, going wow. straight to humans wow. to see if they can fast-track it. But even if you fast-track it, it might not be available for another year. Okay. Right, it takes that long to make sure that it's safe because you, mm. you know, you don't want to be something. giving this to everybody. Exactly. Right. So you want to make sure that it's entirely safe. Mm. So that's happening. A lot of research going on. So you, so you would say roughly a minimum of a year. I would say that. I would say yeah, without giving a year a, you to know, eighteen definitive. months. Yeah. If you want to be conservative. Yeah. I mean, if they get it out in six months, ten months, it would be remarkable. Yeah. Could, could happen. I yeah. mean, it could happen but very low yeah. chance of that happening. Why, why are, um, I guess we're seeing younger, um, lots of younger people are less likely, less susceptible of getting it. You said there are younger people who are getting it. Yeah. When we're talking about kids, why are kids less susceptible? Yeah, no one really knows. They think it's to do with the immune response of kids and the immune, immune um, uh, reaction that this virus induces. But kids tend to have a very mild reaction to it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, so far as we know, um, based on hard evidence, no child under 10 has died from it. Wow. Um, having said that, I just saw last night an Iranian newspaper article, because Iran has been hard hit by the coronavirus, that they had a three-year-old and a six-year-old die in Iran, but that's not confirmed. Yes. Not verified. Yeah. If, if that's true, that would be very unusual. Mm. Um, the trio apparently had leukemia, so it could be true. Okay. But yeah, um, they will be the youngest. Wow, that's so interesting. I guess just to finish off some, some questions I have around your faith now. Sure. Through this situation, <laughs> how do you find you live your faith out in these tricky times? Sure, I think, okay, <clears throat> there, there are a few, few levels to this. So one, being Christian, I need to constantly be vigilant that I am living my faith out in that I'm watching how I, I act. Um, it's very easy to um, get really frustrated and get angry, to be honest, when yeah. things are not going well, because things are just happening so quickly. So uh, not only at work, but also at home, because mm. it's easy to get frustrated at home with the kids and with, with May. And so I need to be sure that I'm living out my Christianity. So that's one. And then secondly, I think um, to have faith that God's in control. These, these things happen. We live in a fallen world. There, there is pestilence. And, you know, as we kind of move on uh, in the history of the world, and the scientists are also predicting this anyway, that there'll be more and more this type of pandemics mm -hmm. as humankind expands our influence into um, forests and you know there'll be more novel viruses that will be exposed and so this this is this may not be the first time but um, so and my faith is that 
none of this is new. The Bible talks about this. Yeah. And so it's um, just knowing that we're living in these times and mm. the church has to rise up and be a light on the, in the world. And um, we need to uh, lead the way, really, in providing a refuge for people, some assurance, mm. and give them an understanding there is peace within the church, even though there's some, maybe some chaos out in the world. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. And I think um, you know, you're playing such a key role and you know, with all your different colleagues that you have and all the different yeah. people that you have influence with, do you find that your faith just comes you know, how does that look like? What do those conversations look like? Is there a moment for you to interject, you know, peace to someone or just to, you know, yeah, yeah. I guess be a light in your world? What does that yeah. look like? It's, it's my role as a leader within my organization to jump in. So, you know, it's easy, even my team leaders are looking at the, some of the leaders within the organization. It's easy to get stressed. And so yeah. when someone doesn't tell someone else something and then there's a misunderstanding, people get a bit stressed. Mm. And so... At those times when I, I noticed that the heat in the temperature, the, the, temp, the, the, the temperature in the room is getting heated up, and, and, right, and nowadays it's on, on Zoom or on Skype, um, I would jump in and say, look, everyone just remember that we're on the same team. Yes. That, you know, we, this will test our character. I mean, it is, you know. It's, mm. this, it's during times of crisis that our character will be tested, that our true self will be shown. Mm. So, uh, sh you know, look into the mirror. Who are you? And who do you want to be and be who you want to be, not, not be the person that reacts, you know, like just um, let yourself be tested, but don't fail the test. So wow. I, remind my, I remind people, I mean, I've, I've said that today, literally <laughs> a couple of times in two meetings yeah. about the fact that we need to um, just live, remember our values. Yes. And I think for me as a Christian, it's um, even more uh, important to continue to... Um, uh, be a living testimony, really. You yeah. know, I have to be the best example mm. uh, for everyone around me because I can't. Otherwise, who else are going to look at? You know, yeah, I have wow. to be the role model. Yeah. yeah, that's that's incredible. And what would be a piece of advice you would give to, I guess, the young people of the world? That um, this is probably the the trickiest thing that we've ever witnessed or gone through sure. as as a younger generation. And there's a lot of people freaking out, a lot of people full of fear. What would be something, a piece of advice, I guess, you would say to them? Yeah. So I think the, for the young people out there in the world, I think they, are, they, they have a role to play. They, they can either get angry, talk about how unfair the world is, you know, it's the GFC, house prices are expensive, bushfires and now this, or they can be posi a positive force for good and for change, yeah. right? So they can um, uh, actually play a very important role in uh, saying that, okay, you know, I can play my part in the response, the global response that we, that we need to, uh, uh, kinda, you know, come up with mm -hmm. to address this crisis. I can play my part in uh, making sure that I follow the public health advice about social distancing, washing my hands. I can see how I can support other people who are less fortunate, you know, in particular the ones who are the, who are the, the elderly, right? Mm -hmm. They have to understand even if they don't get sick, this is the problem, right? They think, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get sick. Yeah, I'm going to catch it. All this. I'll just get immune. I'm going to go to parties. In fact, I get it. The earlier I get it, the better because I don't have to worry about it. Mm. The problem is that you'll be spreading it to people who are elderly and they will potentially die. Mm. So think about your grandparents. Think about your parents. 
you know, think about those people who, not only the elderly, the people who are immunocompromised with diabetes, with asthma, because mm. they're the ones who potentially can get a bad form of this and play a part and see how you can help them, you know? Yeah. So for the elderly, for example, who, have, who are stuck at home, s offer to get them groceries, for example, but you know, you want to practice good hygiene. Yeah. Offer to set up um, Zoom or Skype, uh, you know, some form of technology for them, because I know them that- to connect. So they can connect with their grandkids, you know? It's, mm. it's really difficult at the moment for them because they're really, they're already lonely as this. Yeah. This is going to make them even more lonely. So it's it, things like that. So. Mm see how you can contribute to uh, our global response to this current crisis. We will get through this, there's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. But the key is we want to get through it with as minimal damage as possible, with yes. as least number of people hurt as possible. Mm. And where do you see things going? What do you see as the next year looking like for Australia? Well, next year hopefully will be in the recovery phase because yeah. this is going to be, um, you know, we will have three to six months of big pain mm -hmm. and then we will then have to slowly recover from, from this while we wait for the vaccine. Um, we have to develop a vaccine no matter what because um, the lessons from the Spanish flu in 1918 is that the first wave came, yes. everyone said, oh yeah, it's over. Then there was a second wave, it came back. Mm. So it can come back and it's winter time. That, that is. So we, why we are really concerned is that we're heading towards winter. We already have a lot of cases of influenza. Yes. In ICU now, you know, people are going to ICU with influenza, and this is before COVID-19 spikes up. Mm. So, um, you know, we, we, we do need to, um, so by next year, I think we will be recovering. We will, the economy will be recovering. We will be living life a bit differently. I think yes. this will have created structural differences mm -hmm. in our society. We, have, we are going to look at how we globalize. Manufacturing have been, you know, outsourced to other countries. We kind of have to think about, is that, is that wise? Yes. Um, and, and all of those things. And, and um, I, I, I think um, my, my hope is that society will be better for this. You know, we have, made, we have learned hard lessons mm. and um, uh, humanity as a whole, hopefully will come through this and be more mature in wow. how we deal with one another. Absolutely. Yeah. Final question. What for you is the balance between faith and medicine? Because, you know, we read the Bible, we believe yeah. in miracles, we see miracles here, yeah, you know, yeah. every Sunday. Um, <laughs> but then obviously you have a medical background and you know that medicine has the ability to heal people as well. So right. for you, where do you sit between both of those schools? Sure. I, I, to me, they are, they are no, they're not different things. To me, um, medicine is healing and healing is faith. So to me, God heals. And to me, God heals using different ways. He can heal through medicine. He can heal through someone talking. Uh, giving someone a reassuring touch. He can heal through um, uh, circumstances, you know, um, and he can heal through a miracle. I mean, he can just, mm. he can just heal. So to me, I, I don't see a, a contradiction or attention. I would say for Christians who are unwell, um, seeking help from doctors is not a sign of weakness. Um, not at all. I mean, you should do that. Doesn't mean, and you should also pray. Yes. <laughs> right? There is, they are not mutually exclusive things. Um, and the key here is when medicines fail, because medicine's not foolproof, because, yes. you know, that's fine. Then all we have is God. And then, and then we, we, we push on. The f faith shouldn't be different in any other circumstances. You yes. should always have 100% faith that God will heal you, mm. whether it's through medicine or whether it's through a healing touch or, you know, that's my, that's my perspective. 
Uh, and I think um, we really need to understand that. Um, some people have a misunderstanding that, mm. oh, I've got faith, then it's all up to God, and God will do it all. And so I'm not going to uh, uh, access anything else. Um, and, you know, I think um, I'm not suggesting that in certain, certain circumstances, that's not the right way, because if God speaks to you in a certain way, to say you got to do these steps, then you, you do it. Yeah. But I think in general terms, you know, um, you can do um, what uh, is expected, which is that in today's um, uh, understanding of the human body and s evidence-based science, medicine will help you, mm -hmm. uh, but you should also... Um, um, pray as well yeah it's kind of like food you know you kind of it's the whole tension of you know the bible talks about this right the the, the people kind of have this dichotomy between the spirit and the you know because we made our management of three parts spirit the soul and the and and the, and body. the body so paul talks about this right so i just touched my face see i was trying to hard not to do it um <laughs> it's impossible by the way um paul says oh yeah because the body needs to eat, so, but then the spirit needs to also eat, right? So it's kind of like saying, all right, I'm just going to feed my body. I'm not going to feed my spirit. That's no good. Yes. But if you say, I'm just going to feed my spirit. I'm not going to eat. Fine. For, you run a fast. You have a specific purpose. But if you don't eat for a long time, you'll die, right? Yes. So you kind of have to eat for your body and also eat for your spirit. And also eat for your mind. Your, your, your psychological mind, your emotional spirit needs to be fed as well yes. with love and compassion from your fellow human beings and reading books and things. That's all feeding the different parts of your body. Mm. Similarly, uh, when, your it, it, when your physical body gets sick, you treat it physically. Yes. It doesn't mean that God can't heal it too. Yes. But it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you just stop. Yes. It's like, just stop eating because God's going to feed me. Yeah, we can do both. That's right. Mm. And it's the same with your, because you need physical healing, but you also need psychological healing. It's all, it's all you, can't, you can't separate the, the human body into, into one or the other. Yeah, I like that. You have that. to do it all. Mm. Does that make sense? That's good. Yeah. That's great. Honestly, thank you so much for no your time. Worries. We okay. we honor you for the sacrifices you're making, not just um, you know for for the country, but for us as a church and, and everything. So we just want to say thank you so much no for problems. allowing no problem. the time to have this conversation. My pleasure. And I'm sure it's going to be really helpful for so many people. So appreciate no you. We'll thank let you get back to your busy thank day. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for One on One With. We appreciate your time. If you enjoyed today's episode, why don't you hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, leave a review, or even share the link to a friend that you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for joining it, and we'll see you on the next episode.